So I'm going to do quite a bit of reading this morning, and I'm going to attempt to do it so that it is listenable and not boring. And I didn't know how else kind of to do this. There's just lots of information. And so one of the things about prophecy is it's a whole lot of information in the, in the especially the book of Daniel, about nations, a series of events that occur that involve nations. And so even today, uh, we look at the news, there's a lot of stuff about countries, about nations involved in the whole thing. And so uh, let me, I'll read through it and then we'll talk about some of the nations, a sequence of empires, as it were. And so out of those uh, kind of a key things happen. Uh, and what's a cool thing to do is to read the book of Daniel, then go back and read history. I'm going to be done with this class next week. And then uh, Mike's going to take over teaching another topic. But this next fall, when we start uh, new ones, I'm going to teach a class on uh, church history. And uh, so it's one of my favorite topics is, is church history, history in general, but especially in regards to the church. So Daniel chapter 2, verse 31, beginning with verse 31. And you've read all this, but I'm going to read it and try to connect things together. Daniel 2, 31. You, O king... This is Daniel talking to Nebuchadnezzar. We're looking, and behold, there was a single great statue. That statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you. You remember the story. Nobody can tell Nebuchadnezzar what the dream is, and he demanded that they not only interpret it, but they tell it to him. And so Daniel finally comes around as the one that can do that. And so he is now telling him what he dreamed. Its appearance was awesome. The head of that statue was made of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands, and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were all crushed, were crushed all at the same time, and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. So the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell its interpretation before the king. You, O king, are the king of kings. Nebuchadnezzar is the king of the Babylonian empire. You're the king of kings to whom God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the strength, the glory. And wherever the sons of men dwell or the beasts of the field or the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hand and has caused you to rule over them all. You are the head of gold. And so the Babylonian empire is the great big kingdom running and controlling the entire world. Nebuchadnezzar is the king of that empire who had this dream. After you, there will rise another kingdom. And so this is the Persian, the Median Persian Empire. After you, there will rise another kingdom inferior to you. Then another third kingdom of bronze. This would be the, the Greek Empire, which will rule over the, all the earth. Then there will be a fourth kingdom as strong as iron. This will be the Roman Empire. As strong as iron, inasmuch as iron crushes and shatters all things. So like iron that breaks in pieces, it will crush and break all these in pieces. In that you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay, partly of iron, it will be a divided kingdom, but it will have in it the, the toughness of iron inasmuch as you saw the iron mixed with common clay. And it's interesting, if you want to read, uh, when I talk about history, I like all kinds of history. One of the favorite things that I, in the past, to read about is the Roman Empire. 
its beginning, its rise, its fall, all that was involved in the Roman Empire, because it's a big chunk of history. It was the empire that was in power when Jesus was born, and it's in the Bible a lot. Feet were partly of iron, partly of pottery. And so if you read about the Roman Empire, there's a change that takes place where it becomes the Holy Roman Empire. That'd be like saying, the United States becomes the Holy United States. Uh, How would that happen? Well, I don't know. But uh, the Roman Empire becomes the Holy Roman Empire. It's a a marriage of politics and religion that go together. And so you have this iron and clay, this mixture of power taking place. And, and so reading about those days is a lot of fun. There was lots of, uh, you think our politics is uh, crazy. The politics back then was really crazy. Uh, partly of iron, partly of pottery. Some of the kingdom will be strong, part of it will be brittle. And in that you saw the iron mixed with common clay, they will combine with one another in the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another even as iron does not combine with pottery. In the, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms. And so during the Roman Empire is when Jesus was born. It was during that kingdom uh, that this final kingdom, that which Jesus is the king over, uh, began The days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. That kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush, put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. In the future, so the dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. So there's a successive... Uh, kingdoms that come to power and so Daniel giving all this information before it happens and as you read and study it's obvious that the correlation is just right on in the sense of the prophets that he made about the Babylonian uh, the Persian the Greek uh, the Roman empires Uh, moving on to Daniel 7 and so there's a series of these revelations in Daniel that are similar Daniel 7 in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. Now, Belshazzar obviously isn't Nebuchadnezzar. He's after Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Daniel saw a dream. This is a dream that he personally has. He lay on his bed. Then he, he wrote the dream down and related the following summary of it. Daniel said, I was looking in my vision by night. Behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. Four great beasts. Now, beasts are kingdoms or leaders or presidents of the kingdoms. Four great beasts were coming up from the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion. That would be, again, Nebuchadnezzar. This was after him, but it's a relation. The Babylonian Empire had king's uh, wings of an eagle. I kept looking until its wings were plucked and it was lifted up from the ground, made to stand on two feet like a man. Human mind was given to it, and behold, another beast, a second one resembling a bear. It raised up on one side, had three ribs, Now, if we had the time, we could go into detail of what the bear stands for, the lion, the ribs, and it's all, as you study it, it's it's great great stuff to study, comparing it with history with what actually happened, because we're on the backside. We can see and study the history of the Persian Empire and the Greek Empire and the Roman Empire and the Babylonians and others. It raised up on one side, three ribs were in its mouth between its teeth, and thus they said to it, Arise, devour much meat. After this, I kept looking. Behold, another one, like a leopard which had on its back four wings. 
of a bird. So the Greek Empire began with Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great, he didn't live very long. He was young when he started and he was young when he died. And as soon as he died, there were four generals that take over. Uh, and so uh, Daniel references regularly uh, first the leopard of the speed at which it conquered the world and then uh, he had on his back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads and dominion was given to it. After this I kept looking in the night visions and behold a fourth beast dreadful, terrifying, extremely strong. It had uh, large iron teeth that devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with his feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it and it had ten horns. While I was com contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one, came up among them. And so now he's shifting uh, to the Antichrist. The Antichrist is the, this horn here. A little one came up among them. Three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it. And behold, this, this, iron, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth uttering great boast. I kept looking until thrones were set up and the Ancient of Days took his seat. The Ancient of Days, that's God, obviously, takes his seat. His vesture was like white snow, the hair of his head like pure wool. His, stone, his throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him. Myriads upon myriads were standing before him. When I was a kid, we used to say bazillions. That's what that is, myriads of myriads. That's bazillions. Uh, were standing before him. The court sat, the books were opened. Then I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking. The Antichrist is the ultimate in arrogance and pride and boastfulness. I kept looking until the beast was slain. Its body was destroyed, given to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away. But an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. I kept looking in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven one like a son of man was coming. So you remember when Jesus is on trial and they're, getting, they're accusing him, trying to get him to say something and a point at which the, the accusers, the Pharisees, the, uh, kind of just go, ah! they just like their finger got put in a socket is when Jesus calls himself by the title that's in the book of Daniel because they knew exactly what he was saying when he said that. One like a son of man was coming. He came up to the Ancient of Days and presented before him and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit was distressed within me and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. I approached one of those who were standing by, began asking him the exact meaning of all this. So he told me, made known to me the interpretation of these things. These great beasts which are four in number are four kings who will arise from the earth. But the saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom. Saints of the highest one. Who's that? That's me. Sorry, you. You, you, you too. You too. Saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever for all ages to come. I desire to know the exact meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful with its teeth of iron and its claws of bronze, in which devoured, crushed, and trampled down the remainder with his feet and the meaning of the ten horns that were on its head 
and the other horn which came up and before which three of them fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth uttering great boasts, which was larger in appearance than its associates. I kept looking, and that, iron, that horn was waging war with the saints, overpowering them until the Ancient of Days came, until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one. And the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. Isn't that going to be a day? The time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. Thus, he said, the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which will be different from all the other kingdoms, will devour the whole earth and tread, tread it down and crush it. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings will arise. Another will arise after them, and he will be different from the previous ones and will subdue three kings. He will speak out against the Most High, wear down the saints of the highest one, and he will intend to make alterations in times. That's probably why he's going to change the calendar by his birthday rather than the birthday of Christ. Tend to make alterations in times and in law, and they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and a half a time. That's three and a half years. The court will sit for judgment. His dominion will be taken away, annihilated, destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, the greatness of all, of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. That's us. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all the dominions will serve and obey him. At this point, the revelation ended. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts were greatly alarming me. My face grew pale, but I kept the matter to myself. And so both of these is a kingdom. They get conquered they get conquered again, they get conquered again, and so you have the four, the Babylonian, the Assyrians, or excuse me, the Persians, the Greeks, and the Roman Empire, which was the empire during the time of Jesus, and it looks like that the Antichrist will arise out of a revived Roman Empire. There'll be ten nations or ten kings that come to power, and out of that will come the Antichrist. So let's add some kingdoms. Four is kind of boring. Uh, Revelation chapter 17. Then one of the seven angels who had seven bowls came up and spoke with me, saying, Come here, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality. And those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. Again, if we had about another month, we could go through all those uh, pictures of the woman, the beast, the heads, full of blasphemous names, having seven heads, ten horns. The woman was clothed in purple, scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. And on her forehead was a name written, a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth, and so Babylon is a name that has been through the whole Bible. Uh, it comes from the word Babel, the Tower of Babel, which was built by uh, Nineveh uh, and uh, uh, what's his name? Keep wanting to say Nineveh. Nimrod, thank you. Nimrod. <laughs> what's his name? You tell a 70-year-old, 72-year-old pastor occasionally, he's like, uh, yeah, you know, what's his name? Uh, 
I'm glad I got it before we ended here, Nimrod. Anyway, building the Tower of Babel and the, their tongues are confused. Well, that particular place where that false religion began has been the location of every false religion since. It's great to study history, and it's a great history study to study the uh, false gods, the various world religions that occur. There's a bunch of them. You know some of them you've read in the Bible. Uh, they worshipped Baal. What was that about? And then there's the god of Asher, which the Assyrians worshipped, and, and then the Roman gods and the Greek gods. Uh, there's more gods than you can shake a stick at, but they all have a history. They all came from somewhere, and when you study the history of all these gods, they all go right all the way back to the Tower of Babel. And Babylon is the mother of harlots, the mother of harlots, mother of every false religion that has ever existed rose out of the Tower of Babel, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. When I saw her, I wondered greatly, and the angel said to me, Why do you wonder? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and the, and the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come up out of the abyss and go to destruction. That's an interesting statement. The beast... This is here now talking about the Antichrist that you saw was, is not, and is about to come up out of the abyss and go to destruction. So it looks like there's appearing, a disappearing, appearing, a disappearing. Those who dwell on the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life and the foundation of the world will wonder when they see the beast that he was and is and, and is not and will come. Here is the mind which has wisdom. These seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits, and they are seven kings. Seven kings. Now, we had four, now we've got seven. Five have fallen. This is John writing, the Apostle John. He was writing during the time of the Roman Empire. Five have fallen. One is. The other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must remain a little while. The beast which was and is not is himself also an eighth and is one of the seven in that he comes out of that and he goes to destruction. So we have seven kings or kingdoms and then the eighth which is the Antichrist. Uh, one is, that would be the Roman Empire, that was the easy one. And before that there are five, after that there is one. Um, so I'd like to go through that. Uh, the five that were before John would the, be the first one would be the Egyptian Empire. Egyptian Empire, there we go. The first world empire is the Egyptian Empire. You remember in the, when uh, Joseph is sold into slavery in Egypt and then rises to power, becomes the second in power and has a dream or he interprets the dream of the Pharaoh and there's seven really good years, seven really bad years. He gives counsel and they store up all this food and everybody in the world comes and buys food and they gain power and Egypt became incredibly powerful. Uh, they were, were basically running the world. They were a world empire. Now the world wasn't as big as it is now in the sense of known world but it was still uh, pretty much everything all around the Mediterranean Sea. It ruled the world from 1700 to 1000 BC approximately, though they were very powerful even before then. 
And you can study all of that Egyptian history with the pyramids and all that goes with it. It's quite amazing all the stuff that that empire did and accomplished uh, during their time. In 1700 BC, Joseph is second in command and gains great power as they feed the world. They didn't feed the, feed the world for free, they charged. And because of that, they gained all this enormous real estate and control and power over many countries in the world. Second world empire was the Assyrian Empire. And so they were a military machine. If you want to read history, read about the Assyrians. Uh, they were am amazing in what they accomplished for the sake of war. Uh, they were very cruel. They intimidated. They would put the heads of their enemies on the tops of spears and stick them around places for people to see to intimidate. And so they were a, a military machine. They ruled from 1000 to 600 BC. Some of these early ones are approximate because there's a melding over between them, obviously. Uh, they developed iron weapons of war. Before then, the weapons were mostly copper. Uh, they developed weapons of war. They invented chariot with iron wheels. They were chariots, but they made chariots with iron wheels. And they were big enough to hold uh, more than one person. They established an engineering unit that designed towers, built tunnels under walls, built ladders to scale walls. Um, so they conquered the world through military might. So, trivia question. Thousand bucks, anybody gets it right. Solomon was David's king. He was incredibly wise, and uh, he was industrious, and the, they became the richest country in the world, and probably, if they were included, they would have been one of the empires. Now, Solomon's uh, son comes to power, and he's a dumber in a fence post, and because of his bad choices, the kingdom divides in two. The northern kingdom, uh, basically made up of ten tribes, the southern kingdom made up of Judah primarily, and Benjamin and the Levites, and uh, they had Jerusalem. The northern kingdom immediately becomes uh, pagan. They develop some golden calves to worship, and they fall away from God. And so the northern kingdom goes into captivity before the southern kingdom does. Who captured the northern ten tribes of Israel and took them into captivity? The Assyrians. Hey, 10,000 bucks for you. Did I say 10,000? Or 1,000? All right, whatever. Uh, the Assyrians. And so after the Assyrians uh, were in power for a while, by the way, uh, the capital of the empire was Ashur, and then Nineveh. You remember Jonah went to Nineveh? Why was he so against going to Nineveh? That was the capital of the Assyrians. He hated the Assyrians. I'm not going there. He goes the other direction. And uh, Ashur was their god. The pagan god of the Assyrians was Ashur. Move down one more, the pagan god. There we go. Google Ashur. Great history. Not great, but I mean amazing, interesting. Any history of a god that becomes a worldwide god is quite interesting to study how they became that. And again, you go back, it all goes back to the Tower of Babel. The capital of Ashur later became Nineveh, which I just told you that. Two kings of, of Assyria in the Bible were Tiglath-Pileser and Sennacherib. Sennacherib. I was telling a story to one of my grandkids about Sennacherib, and they thought I said snatch a rib. They wanted to know whether ribs were beef ribs or pork ribs. 
So if you can't remember his name, is Snatcherib. 2 Kings 18.13, now in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, uh, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and seized them. They didn't conquer them, they just seized them. 2 Kings 15.29, the days of Pekah, king of Israel, Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came and captured Gilead and Galilee, all the land of Naphtali and Israel, and he carried them captive into uh, carried them captive to Assyria. That was the northern tribe of Israel. They're captured by the Assyrians, and so the Assyrians get captured by the Babylonians. The third empire was Babylon, the Babylonian Empire, and the key player in that empire was Nebuchadnezzar. Probably of all the kingdoms that have existed in the history of the world, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylon Empire was the greatest in the sense of wealth, control, uh, organization, everything that they did. They were quite amazing. And again, if you want to read about all of that, uh, the Babylon Empire and what they accomplished, the architecture, uh, the government, the science even uh, that they developed, uh, in a short amount of time. Of all the seven kingdoms, which was the shortest? Uh, the Babylonian Empire was very short, 600 to 550 B.C. So you compare it with other kingdoms that were hundreds of years. Uh, this one was short-lived, mostly Nebuchadnezzar. You could call it the Nebuchadnezzar uh, Empire. Now, here's one that you'll know. The northern tribe of Israel, the ten tribes, were captured and taken to captivity by the Assyrians, but the southern tribe, Judah, hung around longer because of kings like Hezekiah and Josiah that got them in the revival, and so they maintained. But they then were conquered, and they were conquered by the Babylonians. And you have what is called the Babylonian deportation or the Babylonian captivity done by Nebuchadnezzar. And so they went to a different place than the Assyrians did. The capital was Babylon the Great, the site of the Tower of Babel built by Nimrod. The study of Babylon, the city, uh, is a fascinating study. If you want to do that, again, it's a fairly, lots of information on that one. Nebuchadnezzar was the king. <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar was the king. We'll go on to the next one there. There we go. Nebuchadnezzar was the king that captured most of the known world, including Judah, beginning the Babylonian captivity. So it appears like, if you read the book of Daniel, that Nebuchadnezzar went from being pagan to Christian, or not Christian, obviously not Christian. Christ wasn't around. Uh, pagan to being a worshiper of uh, Yahweh. Uh, don't know that for sure, but it seems like that happened. When he was on the, on the top of his castle in Babylon and he says look at this huge city that I've built by the might of my power all this gold and wealth and then there's a voice from heaven that speaks to him and says Nebuchadnezzar to you it is decreed sovereignty has been removed from you until you recognize that the most high is the ruler over, realm, over the realm of mankind and bestows that on whomever he wishes and then he was crazy like a took off all his clothes and got on his hands and knees and ate grass like a Guernsey cow in the lawn of the capital. And everybody walking by says, hey, there's Nebi. Crazier than a hoot owl. Wonder what he ate. And so seven periods of time passed. We don't know if that was seven days, seven weeks, seven months, seven years, but period of time. It says that his reason was restored to him and that he acknowledged. He said, Lord, you are king. You are master. You are the ruler of mankind. And his power, his sovereignty was restored to him. So 
the fourth empire was the Persian Empire, the Persian Median Empire. It existed from 550 to 336. All of this is pretty much in the same area of the world, what you would call the Middle East now, with Iraq and Persia, I mean Iraq and Iran and uh, Syria, uh, the kingdoms that are there now, including even Egypt. The fifth empire was the Greek Empire, which existed from 336 to 27 BC. Now, they, these are all overlapped because there's battles going in both directions. And some of the battles between the Persians and the Greeks are some of the most interesting to read about. Uh, here, it's what you uh, kind of traditional wars in the sense of, of bows and, and horses and all the uh, stuff that goes on in some of the movies that you see. And uh, they were, some of those guys were geniuses. Alexander, uh, in a short amount of time, whipped everybody, conquered the whole known world. He was a great, great leader of men, and even with small armies, he was able to defeat huge armies himself. 336, Alexander the Great became king in 336 B.C. at the age of 20. Conquers most of the known world. Again, lots of stuff written about him. Writing was happening. Historians were taking place. Greek was a, uh, an intellectual kind of a, uh, empire. And so there were lots of things that were invented in the sense of science, uh, discovered more, written about, and also in math. And you know Socrates and Plato and those dudes that are quoted today were part of this Greek empire and all that went with that. And they influenced the whole world for ages. In fact, the, the New Testament is written in Koine Greek. Uh, if you study languages and read about languages from the very beginning, what is known about language till to today, and you were to ask this question, what of all the languages that have ever been spoken or written, Koine Greek is a dead language, in that modern Greek and Koine Greek are not the same, though they're related. Uh, Koine Greek, the New Testament, is the most expressive language ever spoken, ever written in written form most expressive in that you get more out of what's there in writing than any other language. There's amazing things in the language itself that tells you what it means. And so I took Greek. Uh, I loved it and hated it. I think I've told you some stories about my Greek class with Dr. Clapp. He was the meanest, most cantankerous professor that had ever walked the planet Earth. But he had nine doctor's degrees. The guy was amazing. They wrote a book about him when he was just a kid. Uh, and that he was such an obvious genius when he was just a little kid. Uh, and, and so I got the book when I was, uh, he was my professor, and I thought, well, I wonder what he's doing teaching me. Now, this dude is smart. Bad thing about taking a class from a smart guy is he wants you to be smart. And he didn't know he was talking to a Guernsey farmer <laughs> who couldn't spell Baptist. <laughs> Alexander the Great dies at the age of 33. That's a high-stress life, you know, being ruler of the world. So it took its toll on him, and he dies. And the empire is divided between his four generals. And uh, lots of great stories to read about these dudes competing for power. The, various, the world was divided up between the four. The sixth uh, empire is the Roman Empire. Now, of all the empires, this was by far the, the, the strongest the mightiest, the best, in the sense of 
military power, government, uh, land possession, organization, roads, uh, business, industry. Uh, it basically modernized, as we can use the term back then, uh, the world compared with what it was. The Roman Empire begins 27 BC, ends AD 1453. Again, those are dates that are arbitrary in the sense that all of the kingdoms overlap as there's wars and fighting taking place. So as you look at those dates, which of the kingdoms lasted the longest? The Roman Empire was long-lasting. And after 1453, the uh, seventh kingdom is the Ottoman Empire. Now there's some debate on this as you read various scholars, but the reason why I'm convinced that's the the uh, seventh is because of all the possibilities. They're the only ones that controlled or owned Israel, specifically Jerusalem. And so you read about the Crusades, and they go to Israel, uh, they go to Jerusalem to free it uh, from the Muslims. Well, it was the Ottoman Empire that was controlling that whole area. Uh, they were Muslims, but it was an empire in the sense that. Uh, they were organized and they were controlling most of the world that had been controlled by the previous empires before then. And they last right up into some of your lifetimes. Well, maybe not. I don't know anybody's that old here, but uh, uh, it existed clear up to 1922. And so what happens right then? First World War, uh, 1921. Empire existed from 1453 to 1922. The eighth uh, empire will be that of the Antichrist during the tribulation period. 1918, World War I was over. And in 1921, the League of Nations was established and formally approved of the Balfour Declaration which called for the, uh, a home for the Jewish people in Palestine in 1922. So that's a significant day. You have all this time in which Israel doesn't exist. The destruction of uh, the nation of Israel by the Romans, the destruction of the temple, 90% uh, the, of the Jews were said to have been killed by the Romans, and uh, they are scattered all over the world basically until 1948, which was my birthday, and it began in 1922 after the First World War. 1940, Hitler began his campaign to annihilate the Jewish people, murdering over six million Jews. And that was one of the things that prompted uh, the, the Declaration of Israel as a nation. In 1948, Israel declared her independence as a nation and in 1967 regained control of Jerusalem. <clears throat> so that's a quick thumbnail sketch of clear back to several thousand years before Egypt and uh, all those nations existed. That's historic, uh, easy to prove all that by what was recorded in history over the years and all of it was in the book of Daniel, the book of Revelation, the succession of kings or kingdoms. Uh, five were... See, it's probably worth $10,000 if you could whip off those first five. Egypt, 
Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greeks, Romans, and then the Ottoman Empire, and then the empire of the Antichrist. And so, and then the next empire is us, the millennial kingdom ruled by Jesus and his church, the bride of Christ, which is coming in the future. So all of that to say, kings, Nebuchadnezzar, how good a ruler of the world was he? He was a tyrant. He built a statue and said, if you don't bow down to this statue, I'm throwing you in a, a fiery oven. Now he became, it looks like a believer, a follower, the latter part of his life. And you study uh, the, the Assyrian kings. Uh, they would torture people. They would cut off people's heads. They would cut off their hands. They just did all kinds of mean. They were a military machine. They had no appreciation for human life, none whatsoever. They intimidated, they controlled. And then you, you had the Babylonians, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, I told you about that, the Egyptians, uh, and then you had the Persians, and you read the history about what the Persians did to each other. Uh, they would tie people up, and, uh, and then on one horse that way, one horse that way, it went have a tug-of-war with a person tied in between. Persians did that for sport. You had the Romans with all the gladiator stuff and the torturing and the persecution of Christians. Read the Fox's Book of Martyrs. You want to see what the Romans did to Christians during the church age. And uh, so the history of nations is the history of cruelty. The history of nations is the history of power. And uh, we're living in a day and age in which we're seeing things go bad fast. And we wring our hands and say, oh, it's right on course. It's right on course. Things are going to get worse and worse and worse. And if you're around for the Antichrist, the words are that his kingdom is worse than all the other kingdoms put together. That's not going to be a particularly good time to be around. But our kingdom and our king, King Jesus, is going to be amazing. And I'm in his family, and I'm going to rule with him. And so I'm 72. I've got a few more years to go, maybe. I'll make them count because I'm going to stand before Jesus, but I'm going to understand that the way things have gone, the way things are prophesied to go, they are getting worse. And there's nothing that we're going to do about it but save people. The worse things get, the more people come to Jesus. So I was with a group of pastors and they were wringing their hands about the COVID thing and the restrictions and all the stuff going on and whining and crying and saying, man, I sure wish, I can't wait till this thing gets over. And I'm, I said, I'm kind of hoping it keeps going for a while longer, maybe even gets worse. They said, what's wrong with you? I said, you know, we've been, I've been a pastor for 44 years. I meticulously keep track of attendance and the number of people that start attending and for why they come. We've never had a year like this last year in the sense of the number of people that have started coming to church uh, and even the people that have been in church, some of the life that's existing. Man, it's been the best year we've ever had. And I'm hoping things get worse and the next year is the best year be even beyond that. Uh, so comfort is way overvalued. 
Convenience is, uh, the easier things are, the more convenient things are, the fewer people come to Jesus. We don't need him. But when it gets tough and things get hard and the future becomes unpredictable, all of a sudden people say, maybe there's something else. And those who shine bright like the lights, the stars, those who have a strong faith in Jesus when times are dark, they attract people. They attract people. And so I'm looking forward to the next year. The five days of prayer coming up is going to be amazing and it's going to be one of the reasons God works and reaches people and draws them into his family, our family. And uh, we're going to work like he's coming tomorrow. Every day, work like he's coming tomorrow. It's the last we have to reach people with the gospel. But it's the basic law of life. The worst things are, the more people look for answers and come to Jesus. The better things are, more comfortable people get, don't need him. So, I'm praying for hard times. I mean, I don't want them to outlaw fishing or anything. <laughs> but uh, we'll see what happens in the days ahead. So the most important verse for us right now is Philippians 2, 14 and 15. Do all things without grumbling or complaining so that you might prove yourself to be children of God. Prove yourself to be children of God. You might say, I'm a child of God. I believe in Jesus. And I said, prove yourself to be children of God by doing everything without grumbling or complaining about anything. That you might prove yourself to be children of God above reproach, above reproach. I mean, people look at you like you are a, an angel. Wow. Above reproach among whom you appear as lights in a dark world. You appear as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, and people are attracted to your light. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Be ready to give a reason, a defense to everyone who asks you for the hope that is in you. Do that with gentleness and reverence. The hope that is within you. That is somebody that lives life positively with joy in spite of circumstances. You become a light and people are attracted to your light because you always have a reason. They either think you're on drugs or you have something that matters. Uh, and so once you say, no, I'm not on drugs, well, then it must be something you believe they'll be attracted to your Savior be, by the life you live, by the life you live. That is, you live life in the midst of a bad circumstance without grumbling or complaining about anything. Tough to do, but the Spirit of God living in us will give us the strength uh, to live life with strength and power to be a witness for him during these dark times. One more last time, the Babylonian Empire, excuse me, the, the Egyptian Empire, world controllers, Assyrian Empire, mighty war machine, Babylonian Empire, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Babylon the Great, uh, took the Israelites, uh, the Jews into captivity, and then the Persians, and then the Greeks, and then the Romans, the big mighty empire, which will be the revived Roman Empire during the Antichrist era, the Ottoman Empire, the Muslims and the Turks, and then the Millennial Kingdom after the Antichrist rules for a short amount of time over the known world. And that's the kingdom I'm looking forward to. I rule with Jesus, you rule with Jesus, we're the bride of Christ, sitting with him, living in the new Jerusalem. It's going to be cool forever and ever and ever and ever and it's like a blink of an eye in the future. Just a blink of an eye. Okay. I still have some time left. 
but I'm going to pray and we'll be done. I take questions, but I can't hear for diddly. And, uh, and so I'm probably going to answer a question you didn't ask. And you'll think, what's wrong with him? So I'm trying to preserve my reputation, what I have, you know. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. I pray that we will, so, we will be so confident as people, not because of... Um, the circumstances of our life, but because we know you are God in control. We look at history, we look at what Daniel wrote. I mean, it was all planned. You organized it, brought it about. Man thinks he's in control, fighting wars and gaining victories, but Lord, it's you. And it's all going to culminate in the coming of Jesus as the king of the earth, and his kingdom will be established, and he will be ruler over the world and we're going to rule with him. We look forward to that day. In the meantime, I pray that you'd grant us the power and the strength, Lord, to live our life with victory and power and hope as bright lights who trust you always. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.